Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Essential 11, brought to you by Acton Academy and Acton Academy Placer. Uh, normally, right now is when I would hit the bio uh, of the individual, but um, I'm just going to say this is the Placer County Supervisor. The man's name is Kirk Euler, and I'm not going to go too much into um, his origin story. We go a, a little bit into that when we first start, but I will say this. Acton Academy is all about the hero's journey, and this man is somebody that many here in Placer County, myself included, and in fact, across the state of California, are touting as a hero right now. He is one of the only elected officials that is absolutely pushing back on what amounts to tyranny here in the state from from our governor. So I think you are going to really enjoy uh, what he has to say about all this and enjoy his answers to the Essential 11. So without further ado, here's Mr. Kirk Euler. So excited, man. So excited to have you. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure. Thank yeah, you. it's a, it's a big deal. I appreciate the invitation. Um, you know, and I want to obviously get into to these questions, but before we even do it, and I and I thanked you downstairs, but legitimately from from all perspectives, as a Placer resident, as a dad, as a business owner, um, you know, a sincere thank you to you as as somebody who has uh, obviously continued to speak actually on behalf of people, you know, and listening, and that's a big it's a big deal. So, a uh, very sincere thank you for well, that. Thank you, I appreciate yeah. it. That's just. I view just doing my job. Yeah, I, well, but I appreciate that because so many, you know, I, I think are are not necessarily in that boat. And I know you, um, you know, in part of doing the job, sometimes there's the other side of people that are attacking for doing that job. You know, yeah. and I know you have to face that. And and um, you know, we get an element of it here where we're saying, you know, things like school should look different, right? We're challenging an established, you know, something that has been around for a hundred years. And we're yeah. like, look, we just think we can do it better, right? And that inherently is going to get pushback. And so yes. you're doing the same thing. You're saying, look, we can do this better. So of course you're going to get attacked. Well, I'm, I'm not only am I saying we can do it better. I'm also, <laughs> I'm also saying that the, uh, uh, the current state of emergency is invalid and the governor's operating outside of the law. And uh, I believe the facts are on my side. And it's, it's distressing that uh, more people haven't, uh, especially in the media, yeah. haven't yeah. taken a, an objective look at what the common language of the law yep. says and haven't asked him the question, how are you not currently in violation 100%. of the government code section that allows for you to declare the state of emergency? So that's that's a big part of the frustration is where where are the people that are supposed to be holding elected officials like me and the governor accountable? Where's the media that should be doing that? Right. Yeah, and they seem to be absent. So you're yeah. getting you're getting pushed, but you know, he's seeing and and your the videos that you're putting up and phenomenal video this morning too as well that one I just saw that you put up there today oh, too. The but supply chain. The supply chain. I mean it was great. <laughs> it was great. And I have so my many little mook house. It was, but it was great. And I have so many of my friends too that are business owners, local business owners mm -hmm. too, saying, uh, you know, I've owned my business for thirty years and that was great. I mean, I got literally one of them texting me. It's like that's the best I've ever heard it described. You know, and I'm like that's awesome. Like that's that's well, just cool from we a We talk and you but, know this intuitively you know. as as somebody who's involved in education, but from from a very entrepreneurial perspective, yep. we 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 tend to use language like supply chain, right. and and people like start to get a little cross-eyed, and and so that's why I just said, what does supply chain mean? It means how you get your stuff. Exactly. That's that's what exactly. the supply chain is. Yeah. How do you get your stuff from somebody who made it yep. to you who's going to consume it? All the steps in there. That's the supply chain. That's and exactly so, right. You know, just breaking it down yeah. in, in language. Oh. 
Okay, so you, wait a minute. You mean you mean the entire supply chain isn't Amazon Prime? That's yeah, not the supply exactly, chain, right? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, we get we get duped into uh, kind of the conveniences now, and it starts to shift to things a little bit. Yeah, yeah I love that. And your videos prior to, I mean, I can't remember how many views and shares, and um, you know, I definitely was was one of them too. And again, and another thank you too, because I reached out. I just the first time I had seen a video you had put out too that was questioning exactly what we just said, like just questioning saying, hey, how is nobody talking about the fact that this is in complete violation yeah. too? And I just, I saw that and I'm like, this is great. And I just sent you a message and said, hey, just want to say thank you, you know? And immediately you got back to me too and you're just like, man, I'm just keeping up the good fight doing what I'm supposed to do, you know? I'm and trying. that's a, yeah, it's a big deal. So I kind of want to talk about how you got into this position in the first place, um, just just to kind of give people sort of the, the Wolverine origin story, sure, so to speak. Sure, sure. And then, um, you know, kind of jump forward after that to kind of the most recent pushback that you got and kind of where you want to go from here too. But let's start with that okay. origin story. Um, well, I first ran for the Placer County Board of Supervisors in 1992. I was 24 years old when um, I made the decision at the time I was doing government relations work for the Sacramento Builders Exchange. Mm -hmm. And so I was handling their um, local government relations. And, you know, my, my interest, my passion in government prior to that had always been state and federal level. And that was really the first time it, it focused me to really learn about the the importance of the the mechanisms of local government. And uh, I'd been with the Builders Exchange a little over a year when it came time for the primary for the Board of Supervisors in my own district here in Placer County. And uh, the business community was really not happy with the incumbent at the time, yet nobody had filed against her. And so it looked like she was going to get a free ride. And yeah. So with about 10 days left before the filing period closed, I said, well, what the heck, I'll, uh, I'll run. And one other person then subsequently did as well. So there were three of us that uh, went into the primary. The incumbent got 43% of the vote. I got 41% of the vote. Uh, the other challenger got 16. And so the incumbent and I then went on to the general election in November, and I beat her in the general election in November by a grand total of 67 votes. No kidding. So, you know, if ever if anybody ever tells you that the individual vote doesn't count, I'm living proof otherwise. Yeah. Because um, you know, been a lot of um, consequential things that we did at, as a board back then when I served uh, in the early 90s, and then as we've done since uh, I got back on the board in 2006. Very cool. That's awesome. And so then fast forward to, and I remember there was something... Did you take over for Ted? I feel like I've yeah not, yeah did you take yeah. Over for so Ted, Ted at some point. Okay, so, so Ted. So here's the the story behind that. Um, after I get elected to the board of supervisors, uh, Ted Gaines, um, uh, who's currently a member of the board of equalization, um, Ted reaches out to me. He's a Roseville resident, didn't know him well at the time, and he's saying I want to run for city council. So I actually ran Ted's very first campaign. You I did ran his okay. race. Okay. Okay. Um, he didn't get elected, but he did have a good solid showing uh, enough to where the Roseville City Council appointed him to the Planning Commission and that was his first official uh, seat was on the Planning Commission and then um, when my old district uh, seat opened up in 2000 uh, Ted ran after uh, Supervisor Jim Williams just did one term and then he was done of Williams and Patton Architects Jim's a great yep. great guy around yep. here um, uh, so Ted runs in 2000, gets reelected in 2004. In 2006, the legislative seat opens up and he runs for the legislative seat. Uh, he gets elected and 
by our county charter, when there's a vacancy on our board of supervisors, uh, the, remain, the remaining four supervisors must be unanimous in their appointment. And they have to appoint within 30 days of the vacancy got being it. declared. So you, you got a fairly narrow window. Uh, so myself and, uh, and a number of other people put in and, and uh, the board picked me to fill out Ted's term. And so then I ran uh, in 8, 12, and 16 and was elected in those, those races. Very cool. That's awesome. And it's always super small world, too. I love hearing talking about Williams and Patton, and, and so we've worked with them um, looking at designing essentially another campus um, out here in Placer County at some point, Yeah, they point do great too. institutional so they, work. Uh, they, they do a, they do a lot of stuff for the county, actually. Amazing yeah. stuff, yeah. And and over um, the new fairgrounds, the uh, the the Placer County Fairgrounds yep. at the grounds, yep. the new That's facility. Right. That's they, right. Yeah, they, Williams they're the ones out there. That That's too, right. Man. That's right, yeah, and just, and just really good individuals. I mean, yeah. just good human good, beings. Good people, yeah. yeah. good people, man. So, um, and then Ted, um, I got to know him relatively well too so prior to opening this the last schools so i was in public schools for for a long time predominantly in um stockton area okay. and, um down in 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 that neck of the woods and then came up here and was at adventure christian for uh, five years prior to okay. stepping away to to launch this a few years ago okay. um and ted had uh, some of his kids were there too, so I got to know him and right. and uh, you know the whole Gaines crew. Yes, um, so yes. quite well. So some more good people too. So yeah. very cool. So more recently, I mean, you've been again uh, an advocate for for this county and for business owners and for families to be able to go out and and again kind of hold um, you know that line of accountability to our current government and just saying like, hey, where's the evidence for doing what it is that we are doing? And right. I know recently you got a letter too that was uh, <laughs> that was. A little bit scathing, a little bit yeah. threatening, and um, I'm not gonna lie. Watching your response to it too fired me up, man. I was so excited. <laughs> I was so excited. I'm like, dude, this is a man from my own heart. I love this dude. So, um, if you don't mind, kind of talking about that, just sure. A bit. Well, uh, you know the um, what's been bothering me about the the current state of emergency is the fact that it was based on certain presumptions. And back in early March, when we had very little data, but we had all these models, and we had all the models saying, you know, between two and five million Americans dead. And you just run out the numbers and you look at the percentage of the population that California represents, and you realize that's going to mean literally hundreds of thousands of Californians right. dead. And that means obviously a significant impact to us here in the Sacramento region and in Placer County in particular. And so back then, based on the models, uh, we were... We were willing to say, sure. okay, trouble's a brewing. We got to get ahead of this. At the time, you'll recall, it was a two-week shutdown oh, to yeah. flatten the curve. Yep. Well, you know, in hindsight, now we look back and we say, okay, we never got anywhere near approaching uh, a condition where we overwhelmed our health care system. And that was the whole premise. The whole premise was... We were going to have so many sick patients that the health care system would be overwhelmed. We'd have people dying in the, in the hallways. And what it turned out to be the case was actually quite the opposite. And what we found is that we were decimating our health care system because we're driving them into bankruptcy because they canceled all of their elective surgeries yeah. and all the other things that, that actually make them money. And they sat around with staffed empty beds. And so my contention has been that 
you know, the very plain letter of the government code section, Article 13, that describes the state of emergency, it begins uh, with uh, 8625 that has the conditions for declaring a state emergency. It ends with 8629, which says the governor shall, I mean, it is, it, it's, it's obligatory. The governor shall declare an end to the state of emergency at the earliest possible date the conditions mm-hmm. warrant. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're here on, what, May 18th? Yeah. So two and a half-ish months after this has all been declared, right. in Placer County, just in the South County, between Kaiser and Sutter Roseville, yeah. we have staffed bed capacity of 668 staffed beds. As of this morning, we have three people in those hospitals with COVID. Three. I don't think we're in a state of emergency. Unreal. I don't think the healthcare system is going to collapse. And I was a little worried because there's a provision in the law where he declares the state of emergency that, that defines state of emergency. But then it says that it overwhelms or it is sufficient to be large enough to likely or or is right. overwhelming, right? right? So we bought off on the likely part. It's right. likely to overwhelm. And then there was another provision that says, and the uh, it is too much for the resources, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, because I don't have it in front of me. Sure. It's too much for the resources of any individual county and therefore will require regional cooperation. Well, as we know, the epicenter of this has been Los Angeles. Yep. They're the ones suffering the deaths and all the rest. Yep. So I went back and I looked at the uh, Los Angeles County Department of Health at their data. And on the day that they had the most hospitalizations from COVID, they had 1,814 people hospitalized. And this was on April 28th. On April 28th, again, according to their own data, while they have 1,814 people hospitalized, hospitalized, they have 2,026 staffed and empty beds. They have over, they have double the number of what they're experienced. So at no point did they ever need the combined services of all of the others. And so in in the, 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 the state law which defines, in the section which defines what the various states of emergency are, it's, it's section 8558. Paragraph A describes a state of war emergency. Paragraph B describes state of emergency. Paragraph C describes local emergencies. Mm -hmm. And if you look at where we are today, you might be able to make the case that we have a couple of counties Mm -hmm. that are in local emergency. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Let those counties declare a state of local emergency right. and avail of themselves of the state resources. We've done it here in Placer County many times with fire-related stuff that we sure. were dealing with, sure. with flood-related stuff, with uh, uh, tree mortality issues. We declared a local state of emergency over tree death in the Tahoe Basin. So let that happen and let the rest of us get back to work. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. The governor's extraordinary powers only exist under a declared paragraph B state of emergency. If it's a local emergency, the governor's powers evaporate. He has no extraordinary powers. So why do we think we're still in a state of emergency? There's a little bit of self-evidence right there. So then now what? Well, what I'm focused on is pushing back on this very point. Mm -hmm. Because I believe, given that the governor has 
made it very clear he is taking full advantage of this state of emergency mm-hmm. to issue um, uh, executive orders that would never be passed by the legislature. Mm-hmm executive orders that are extremely costly to to businesses and and, and to local governments. Sure. Um, for instance, his executive order issued about 10 days ago where he says that the the um, he's expanding the liability for workers' compensation to all employers to assume that if anybody comes down COVID positive, it is assumed they got it in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Placer mm-hmm. County has 2,700 employees. Yep. We're going to have some people who do end up contracting this. Yep. Now, all of a sudden, we, the taxpayers, yep. are on the hook for the workers' comp bill that's going to be coming at us because he just assumed it must right. be work-related, right? Couldn't be anywhere else. So it's those kinds of things that make me say his powers only exist while this is considered valid, we have got to push back against the validity of this. And again, the, the, he has to meet the two thresholds. He has to meet the threshold defining the state of emergency in 8558B. And then he has to make the finding, and this one is very interesting. He has to make the finding that the, that the current condition is present tense. Yeah. In 8558B, there's a prospective component, or is likely to be. In the in in 8625C, it says is beyond the capacity of a local government. Present. There's not a yeah present tense. There's not a single county that meets that definition. So why this is so important, I think, is if we get a court, and it's going to take. And I've been in touch with a a very um, well respected public interest law firm mm. that really uh, works hard on the, on the side of civil liberties mm-hmm. here headquartered in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. And I've shared with them all my, my reasoning, and they think I'm right on the law, yeah. but they don't think I as an individual have standing. They think it's going to take an, a, a board of supervisors mm. adopting language similar to this and then requesting an extraordinary writ, writ of mandamus that they file in the local courthouse because what's so important with this is not only do we get this state of emergency lifted right now, right. but that if that definition, if the court says, you know what, you're right, state law is clear. It says that you shall end the state of emergency at the earliest possible date uh, that, that you can, then we can make an argument and say, okay, at what point back? Was it April 1st uh, uh, where we should have realized we weren't in a state of emergency? Was it April 13th? Yeah. Whatever, based on trends, right? Sickness trends, all the rest, death trends. Based on trends, at what date can we establish, okay, as of this date, we should have been able to say we're not in a state of emergency? Yeah. Because then all of his executive orders from that point forward are null and void. Mm. So that's why this is so important to me yeah. is to be able to establish, number one, we're right on the law, and then number two, define that as of this date, based yeah. on this very clear definition, yeah. as of this date, we're not in a state of emergency. So from that point forward, any executive order, which would include his one on on the uh, the workers' comp, they're null and void. Wow. So how's the momentum look for that? Is for getting um, that, that group together? I'm I'm working with several counties right now yeah. to to be, and I'm I'm continuing to work on my colleagues. Um, my colleagues right now, and this is where anybody listening to this can certainly help, uh, feel free to reach out to other members of the Board yeah. of Supervisors and say we support moving forward with this because right now um, uh, the, the, the board 
So Placer County was granted special status. I think it might have something to do with the fact that some of us are beating the drum pretty loudly. Uh, it out there, yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, we are the largest county that was allowed to move forward and accelerate through yeah. this phase two and yeah. open our restaurants and all the rest. Yeah. And a couple of my colleagues are a little concerned a that if we keep pushing, you know, will the government, yeah, governor yank that back? And See, and that's what, it doesn't matter what side you're on. That's what people are getting sucked into this fear-based mentality. They're yeah. moving forward and they're afraid to push back. They're afraid to say what they think. They're afraid to go outside. They're afraid, it doesn't matter where you are. The whole thing is you're being perpetuated by fear, yeah. right? And that's just a, it's not, there is nothing good that comes out of a society that moves forward based on fear. There is nothing no. good that comes out of that altogether. And that's one of the things, you know, especially here at Acton, we talk about the hero's journey. We talk about that hero's mindset. Um, a big part of that is you're going to have to face the dragon at some point, you know, and looking at Joseph Campbell's work and kind of that trajectory of the hero's journey, a hero is going to face some things and is going to have to push through those. And that's where you're able to go back through afterwards and go back into that cookie jar and go, yes, I built my resilience because, you know, I went through this and, and, um, you know, it's a dangerous place to be when we're operating out of fear so much in the way that we are right now. Um, it was interesting. We had, some law enforcement officers that were on site. And we have some law enforcement officers that are also loosely affiliated with us through relationships, marriages, whatever. And we also have a, a group of um, medical professionals mm -hmm. um, as well, whether they're parents of some of the students that, that are members here or whatever that looks like. The doctors that I've had contact with and, and had discussions with, not only are they saying we should be wide open, this is crazy, this is nuts. It's the same thing. They're in fear because there are other doctors that are snitching on them, right. telling them because they're telling their patients, look, you're okay. Right. Everything's going to be all right. We should be opening soon. They're getting snitched on. Some right. of the law enforcement officers that we've had here are going, man, I'm trying to do my job, but I also, you know, I'm being told to violate these other people's constitutional rights to gather at the Capitol. And I don't want to do that. I'm having an existential crisis right, right now. Do I leave the law enforcement field that I love so dearly because I'm being forced, you know, to put this out? So they're living in this state of fear too. And it's yeah. just a, it's a crazy spot, man. Well, you know, again, we talk about that hero's journey, what you are doing here, you know, acting, we talk about political freedom, economic freedom, religious freedom, um, and everybody should be on, you know, we hope everybody's on board with that. And we don't ever want to, you know, particularly take a, a partisan, you know, side of anything, politicize things that don't need to be politicized. But I can tell you from that heroic perspective, we very much appreciate your heroic journey well, thank you. in all of this too. It's a big deal. So, um, and so just to kind of shift gear to, to hit those questions. Now sure. Too. So as you've gone into this field um, and, you know, you've, you've, you've become the person that you are, who do you look back and go, okay, well, this is somebody that has inspired me along the way, or maybe this is somebody that was kind of a mentor to me. And we leave that very open, very ambiguous. It can be somebody sure. that's personal, professional, um, whatever that looks like. Well, hopefully you'll appreciate this given your, your line of work. Uh, one of the biggest, aside from obviously my parents, you know, I owe everything I am to, to being raised in a, uh, an intact family yeah. with, with parents who, uh, we're committed to community service and, and looking out for others. My dad has devoted his life to um, working in the government arena, but more from the standpoint of uh, a very active nonprofit that he established in, in 1975 after he worked for Governor Reagan. Mm. My dad worked for Reagan when Reagan was here in, in um, Sacramento. Um, in 1975, my dad uh, founded the National Tax Limitation Committee, and he spent his life working to push back on the, the size and scope of government mm -hmm. and doing it from kind of yep. that fiscal perspective. Uh, my mom, in terms of service to the community, um, my mom was actually the one who started Bayside Church. 
No way. <laughs> yeah. So my mom was a secretary over at Redeemer Covenant Church in um, Orangevale, okay. where we were attending. She was a secretary to the senior pastor over there. And uh, she said to him uh, one day in uh, 1994, um, she said, you know, Mark, we've had a lot of growth in Granite Bay in the 25 years-ish that we've been here, but we haven't added any new churches. Do you think maybe there's room for a new church in Granite Bay? And uh, so the senior pastor over there, Mark, uh, worked with my mom. They contacted the Covenant folks in, I want to say they're in Minnesota is where the Covenant is okay. headquartered. And, um, and out came some folks to have the first couple of meetings. And uh, first meeting of the church was a little prayer group meeting in my folks' living room. No and kidding. then the very first uh, service, uh, Ray Johnson, the senior pastor, yep. Bayside yep. doesn't. He 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 kind of forgets this. He always thinks that our first service was the Easter of '95 service. In fact, the very first service was actually a Christmas service we did in early December of '94 okay. at uh, what at the time was the Carriage Racket Club. Today it's Gorn's Tennis Academy on on Eureka Road. Oh, wow. But we had it in their in their building. And so Bayside being what it is today and impacting all the lives it is today wow. all came from my mom saying, hey, what about this? So, How about that? So obviously I, I tremendously impacted and influenced by my parents with their, their commitment to our community. Um, but beyond that, I would say the person who had probably the greatest impact on forming me up was um, a fifth grade teacher. Mm. Uh, who he taught the fifth grade when I was in the eighth grade. He was our uh, civics teacher okay. for the eighth grade class. And he, uh, Mr. Baxter was his name, and Mr. Baxter um, was a uh, was in the Marine Corps in World War II, mm. actually. And he was, char- he was in the Intelligence Corps. And his job um, as the war in the Pacific was winding down, he was part of the team planning the assault on the main island of Japan Wow! in the event that we had to go and actually, you yeah. know, obviously before uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki and taking Japan out of the game with that, um, he just instilled in me such an incredible sense of what our civic obligation is. And, and he... To this day, I can recite the preamble to the Declaration of Independence because he made me memorize yeah, it. And, yeah. and, um, and I asked him once, you know, Mr. Baxter, with, your, with his education, his background, his skill set, just in the way he was just such a gentle man. And I said, you could be teaching at a college. Yeah. Why are you in Auburn at this little private school? It was Golden Hills Academy up at oh, Auburn. Yeah. Why, why, why are you... Why are you there? And, and, and he looks at me and says, when you build a skyscraper, the penthouse might be the most fun thing to design, but the foundation is the most important thing to design. And so that was, that's just something that's always stuck with me is, is take your eyes off of that, 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 the, you know, the sexy thing that sits at the top and yeah. understand what it took to get your hands dirty to build a solid foundation so that there could be a penthouse at the top. I love that. I mean, it speaks directly to what we're, our whole mission is. Absolutely. You know what I mean? It really is. And that's, I love that. I love all the crossover there too. It's always, doesn't matter where I am. You know, I've done so uh, outside of building this, I've been a keynote speaker for the last 
five, six years have done over 300 keynotes to anybody and everybody you can think of, right? And so it always ends up, it's so funny, it ends up being a small world, doesn't matter where I am in the world, end up knowing somebody who knows somebody or we've sure. got some similarities, you know, and so I love to see that. Bayside, of course, I know Ray, Lincoln, and, and all mm-hmm. those guys really well, especially being, uh, you know, with Adventure prior right. to this. And so I got to know all those guys really, really well. Um, and then what you said there too, so it was my eighth grade civics teacher too who is a man by the name of dave nelson um r.i.p to dave who was had been an olympic alternate uh for wrestling oh interesting yeah for greco-roman wrestling the guy was just an absolute stud and i remember asking him it was the first time i'd ever seen anybody with cauliflower ear Ah, right and i'm like oh my gosh something is wrong with this guy right and you got these big old i'm like dude what did you do and he's like well this is what happens when you know and um and I remember asking him at some point why he wanted to end up, why, why did you want to be a teacher? Why did you end up wanting to be an educator? Because yeah. he was having, he was one of those guys that just naturally could connect and had a lot of impact. And he was a very soft-spoken guy, but it was just somebody that all the kids just gravitated to, you know. And I remember him saying, you know, when I was, it was precisely when I was at this age, this is why I wanted to work with middle school kids, it was precisely when I was at this age that somebody changed the trajectory of my life and helped me become the person that I am. And so I figured why not spend the rest of my life doing the same thing for That's other people, great. you know? And I was like, man, I always took that. And so my first, my first five, six years in education was with middle schoolers, you know, in some rough areas of California. And, and um, he was a big influence on that too. So I love to hear that, man. That's so great. cool. So cool. So throughout this journey, and one of the questions that we get from, from youth a lot of time is, is just around the development of self-confidence in general. And to be able to speak up, speak up in any capacity, but you're speaking up against, mm-hmm. you know, the assumed powers that be kind of thing. You've got to have, there's got to be a backbone there. There's got to be self-confidence. So what does that look like for you too? You're talking about your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, was that a big part of you becoming a self-confident individual? Do you feel like you're a self-confident individual? Is that something you still work on? What does that self-confidence journey look like? You know, I, I do feel that I am a self-confident individual. Yeah. I, I'll tell you a little story and this, I don't remember this. This is told to me by a classmate who was in class with me in fourth grade. Okay. And I, I don't remember the incident, but he remembers it, he claims vividly. And so in fourth grade, we're in math, and Mrs. Westner was our teacher. Mrs. Westner puts a problem up on the board and uh, asks you know somebody who, who thinks they can solve it. <clears throat> and I said, here, I think I can solve it, and here's my, and I go up and I do it. And she looks at it and she says, okay, uh, is there anybody else who thinks that they, they know how to do this? And young gal at the time, one that all the boys had a crush on, Lauren Easley. Lauren Easley raises her hand and she says, and so the teacher, Miss Westner, invites Laura up and Laura does hers. And, and uh, so Miss Westner looks at me and goes, well, Kirk, do you think your answer is right or do you think Laura's is right? And I said, I think mine is right. Or do you think? She said, I think mine's right. And she puts it to the class. Okay. Who thinks Kirk's ha- answer's right? No hands. No went hands. Up. Yeah. You aren't Who thinks Laura's? Yeah. All the hands went up. <laughs> um, and uh, she then turned to me and said, do you want to change your answer? I said, no, I'm right. And sure enough, I was right. And Mrs. Westner used that as an opportunity to explain to folks if you know you're right, stick by your guns. Yeah. Um, I don't remember. I truly don't yeah. remember that yeah. I- happening myself. Yeah. But uh, a longtime friend and my chiropractor, uh, he loves telling that story. Yeah. I, so I love that story. <laughs> I love that story. So we are. I mean, we we want 
our kids to get back to the top, to be able to have conversation, right? One of our events we did last year was the No Safe Spaces event. We teamed with Prager and Corolla and we helped them mm-hmm. to put out the No Safe Spaces movie. Right. And we held this event at William Jessup and um, Dave Rubin came out and, and spoke for us. And um, just talking about, you know, kind of getting out of the need to have all of these safe spaces in our universities and, you know, all of this kind of stuff, right? We had high schoolers that were up there and they were debating. Um, some hot button topics. I and mean, we were talking abor- uh, abortion, we were talking mandatory vaccination, we were right. talking some some tough things, but we wanted to do it in a way that showed, look, you can be on one side and somebody else can be on one side. You can actually have a conversation and you can walk out of there and not hate each other. You can that's walk right. out of there, right? And so that's one of the things that we want people to realize. It's okay, you're not gonna agree with every single person on this planet. That's all right. Yeah. You can still move forward. But an underlying lesson there too is also, you know, when you know you're right, you can still have that conversation. You can still value that other individual, but when you know you're right, it's okay to stick to your convictions. Well, but and 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 have it have it be fact and knowledge based. No, why, the, no exactly. why do you believe what it is exactly. you believe? Yeah, one of the most yeah. um, eye-opening turning points for me was the first time I got into a conversation with my dad about minimum wage. Yeah, because I was a, a freshman in high school, and I was going to get my first job at two dollars and 75 cents an hour yep. uh and um we started in uh, you know about the minimum wage and i thought of course minimum wage was a great thing because uh-huh. it meant i was going to make two dollars and 75 cents an hour and it was a very interesting conversation uh which got me looking into some of the more fundamental principles of economics in terms of uh, supply and demand and how when the government can place an artificial cost on something that's mm-hmm. included within that supply chain, as we discussed, uh, that's included within that supply chain, all you're doing is artificially burdening somebody else. And why do you really want the government involved in your contract with your employer? Yeah. Why should the government have a yeah. role in that at all? Yeah. And uh, so that was an example of where I went into the conversation. Yeah thinking I knew that I was right on yep. this, yep. but I was smart enough to listen to somebody who was better educated, had a little, and I came away going, okay, I didn't have an answer for that. Yep. So you know what? I need to reconsider my position. To change of perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly it. And, that's and it makes me able to then argue that much better against minimum wage Bingo. as opposed to arguing for it. <laughs> Bingo. Oh, I love that. Good on your dad too. Um, and that's a perfect segue too to the next. So, you know, part of what we do here is we want financial literacy is a big deal. I mean, uh, you know, and I've heard for years and years and years, and whether I've heard it from students that I've been working with, whether I've heard it at the higher, you know, higher ed levels, whether I've heard it from employers as I'm helping them and the young people coming in and they're going, man, they don't know how to, they're like baby birds, help us, help them, (laughs) you know, whatever that looks like. Financial literacy is something that seems to get lost um, kind of in the cracks. And so we're trying to alleviate that here by understanding, you know, P&L and income and, and assets and liabilities and what all of these things mean, how to realistically take a look at all of these things, how to actually, I mean, these kids are operating real businesses, right? That's Financial good. literacy matters. Understanding economics matters. Right. What would you say to it? Maybe you got, you know, your, your son's 18 mm-hmm. coming out of high school right mm-hmm. now. And if he came to you and said, dad, okay, I'm about to leave. I just need one piece of financial advice, man. What's the best thing you can give me right now? What would you say to that? Um, it's funny you ask because we had that conversation about three months ago. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, because he's one who turned 18 before graduation. Yeah, right, and so right, right. obviously automatically thinking, boy, I can't wait to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. And I just had to ask him, son, do you have any idea how much you really cost? Yeah. Do you have yeah. any idea? Yeah. what? Because, you know, what he's thinking is, yep. well, 
rent would be, you know, if I, if I, a couple buddies and me, we, we get together, <laughs> oh, we go rent a place, yes. rent would be this, and then I'll have this much left for food, and so I'll be fine. Yeah. Son, do you know how much your car insurance right. costs? Son, do you know how much your phone costs? Yes. Uh, son, do you know what your medical insurance costs if you're no longer dependent? Son, do you have any? And so it, I, I had him sit down and go make out a list of what, yep. are, what are all the price points for my son to be alive in for this sure. world. For sure. And, and then I had him fill in what he thought those were. And, yep. and it was a little bit of an eye-opener for him. There's a drastic difference. <laughs> yes, we're literally in the process of our one of our quests with our launch pattern. So quest and launch pattern, it means one of the projects we were doing with our high school age students, right? Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. that's the translation. But we're doing this um, this real world scenario where they are picking, okay, what field is it that you think you're going into? What is that job you think that you're, you're taking on? What part of the country are you living in? And great. You give us those basics. Yeah. Here's what's going on. And they are, they're running into that exact thing. Cause they're having to, you know, they're having to call the apartment complexes right. as if they were really going to be applying for right. it. They had to see, first of all, that was an eye opener for some of them just going, wait, <laughs> it costs how much to rent a place here? Like right. this is nuts. Right. And then going, okay, and what was your field? Okay. We well, were an entry level job for this position is probably going to be something along the lines of this, which it yeah. makes, you know, the median income for that is this. So like, wait, you don't start in six figures over here? No, you start far from it. Don't right? uh -huh. <laughs> Exactly. And then going down, the, yes, let's take a look. You got this car, great. And they're like, ooh, maybe we'll switch cars so the payment can be less. I'm like, cool. You still have the insurance. You have to insure, you have to pay that every month. And like, yeah, you know? And so going down this rabbit hole, but that's right. that's the kind of stuff, you know, we want them to understand, yeah, want them to have a realistic view. Yeah. I love that you had that conversation. So taking it from that young person's perspective again, and they're going into that entry level job. And let's say that person is, maybe they are 18, just graduated, or they're like your daughter, just about to graduate um, from college, right? And Boise State's great, by the way. I've done a lot of work actually with Boise State and was out there five or six times in uh, 2018 out at the university. So some oh, great. great folks out there. Um, so they're that age, whatever age that is coming out and they go, hey, Mr. Euler, we want to come work for you. We want to come work for you. We love what you're all about. We love what you're doing. Um, what do you want to see from that young person that's going to make you go, okay, I'll go ahead and maybe take a chance on this person. What is the, what is you're looking for on that? I, I, I'm somebody who I am, as an employer, I'm extremely forgiving if you screw something up and I know that you were you were working in the best interest of what you thought was was in the best interest of our yeah. our, our company. Um, I don't like people who settle into comfort zones and want to defend those mm -hmm. comfort zones. I I look for employees who are constantly figuring out how can I break this. Yeah. Because yeah. if I can break it, then somebody else can break it, and that might jeopardize us as Bingo. an ongoing <laughs> you Bingo. know as a going concern. Yes. Um, so. I want employees who aren't afraid to, why, why are we doing it this way? Yeah. You know, it's, yep. it's one thing to be taught a job and I'm, I'm coming at this from a standpoint, one of our companies, um, casting calls America headquartered in Boise, mm -hmm. uh, casting calls America. We've got, um, 13 employees right now. And we started, uh, with, uh, uh, two business partners of mine who just, solved the problem and then they came to me and we said we think this has market application and first revenue for our company was june 29 2014 and today we're in 32 states or uh, 32 cities 
um, with one national uh, pro- product, um, faith-based casting. Um, and then we've got SAC Casting was our flagship, and, and now we're in Orlando and Boston and all the so rest. Cool. And, and we, we've just created a better machine for casting projects in these various cities. So if you're casting director, you put your roles on our site, and we find you your actors for you, basically. It's a subscription yeah. model. Yeah. Um, but what I encourage from our employees is – Learn the product, but at every step that you're learning the product in order to be able to deliver the product to the customers, every step you're learning, ask the question, why? Why are, why are we doing it that yeah. way? Uh, don't just take for yeah. granted that, that this is the best way because you and your experience might have come across something that where you can say, hey, why, now that I understand why we're doing it this way, yep. what about looking at it this way? I so love that. that's really what I want is I love that. employees who are inquisitive and, and, and driven. Yeah. Good, good questions. Always infinitely better than good answers. I mean, they always are. Cause that's, what's going to drive innovation. That's what's going to drive the change. And I, I, we had a meeting this last, this last Friday, we had our staff meeting and, and it was like, okay, look, you know, so one of the other employees brought up says, look, I think we can do this better. Let's talk. And we had this phenomenal two hour meeting about, and that's what I want. I'm like, like yeah, okay. They're like, Oh, I was worried. Like, what ever made you think you should be worried about that? I want us to get better. This is what I want to talk about every time we meet. Where can we improve? What can we be? We do that with our kids. We talk about, and we give them the example of the challenge donut. You know, and we say that you, you got to not be in the comfort zone. You can't be in here because nothing good happens there. You don't want to be outside of that because that's the panic zone. Again, you're going to get dumb there. Nothing good's going to happen there. You want to be right there in that sweet spot, sure. right? That little challenge sure. zone. And that's what we're talking about. So, yeah. yeah, I love that. And another funny side note too, SAT casting. So I did a, a, a keynote for a, a local organization. I didn't do much in California. Out of those 300, I think I only got to do like 15 maybe that were in California, right, over these last five, six years. But I did a local SAC-based um, organization. Um, and somebody's like, hey, you know, you should get into acting. And so sat casting, I end up somehow going through, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I got nominated for something on there. And so I did a, a come to Placer like commercial that came through sat casting really? like two years ago. Yeah, That's funny. Yeah, so myself and um, young lady Brianna Cox um, is a local actress. And yeah. So we did this, yeah, oh, visit fantastic. Placer fantastic. Uh, commercial and stuff too. So yeah, pretty cool. And we got another budding actress, actress over Very here good. too. So, Very good. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Um, so one of the things that we talk about quite a bit here is is the need to be able to be disciplined and not always just motivated, right? M- motivation goes like right. this, um, but right. if you're disciplined to work towards an outcome, you'll be able to push through the times when you're not super right. motivated, right? And it's one of the rules that we have in our house too is discipline equals freedom is one of the things that we say. So what's something that you've had to maintain discipline around for yourself that you're like, oh, I don't necessarily love this part of my job, you know, right. maybe, but I've right. got to do it because – my outcome is this and that's how I'm going to get there. So, um, it, it's, it's less for me, the discipline is less job focused and, and more, um, on my health and fitness focus. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. I, uh, I've done two Ironmans. Have you? Can, can finish two, two Ironman races. Good for you. I am not your typical Ironman athlete build. Yeah. I, I, as I sit here today, I'm 6'2", 246 pounds. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's, that's, not, yeah. An, that's not an average Ironman build. Yeah. Um, I would have said you played football, not, run, I, not I did. the Ironman. I did play okay, football. Yeah, totally. Right, 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 right. <laughs> but uh, it was just one of those things where I thought it was so crazy and so, I mean, you're going to swim 2.6 miles, then you're going to bike 112 miles, then yep. you're going to run a marathon? Yeah, sounds atrocious. That's, Let's do yeah, this. that's yeah, just so, so <laughs> stupid. Why would you do that? Yeah, Why would yeah. you? And, and, and I, uh, Vince, the chiropractor I referenced earlier, who yeah. told the story of the fourth grade 
Um, pardon me. Vince is he, Hoffert? Hoffert, yeah. Man, I know Vince. So I think I have a feeling you and I know a whole lot of the same That's people. That's funny, yeah. But I know Vince. So Vince I know did Vince very I, well. Iron Man uh, uh, Wisconsin yep. in 2011. And at the time, I was just running. I wasn't doing you know, the riding or the, the swimming. And he kind of challenged me. And, and so I, I did my first you know, short triathlons. And then in 2017, uh, yeah, 2017, I did my first full Ironman up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Nice. And then 2019, last uh, November, I did my second one in Florida. So cool. And, and it, that's where the discipline comes in. Yeah. Yep. Because when you're training for an Ironman, you'll have, you'll have ride days where you're out riding five, six hours. Yeah. And, yep. and you don't, I'm thinking of everything else I've got to do, for right? Sure. All my work, all everything else I've got to do. But uh, I've really come to 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 enjoy the discipline associated with the training, and for no other reason. And this didn't occur to me until I was training for the for the Florida Ironman. I was out swimming Folsom Lake, and I was doing a two and a half mile swim in Folsom Lake, and so swimming along the levee and all the rest. And I so I go out all the way around over by the dam until the guards yell at me and say you can't be over there. Mm-hmm. And then I turn around and I come back, and I'm swimming back toward Bill's Point. It was very interesting because. As I get, I'm getting close to land, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm seeing my distance, and I'm getting close to As soon as my feet touch down, anxiety set in. Mm. And I'm like, what's going on? Why am I? Well, for the last hour and 20 minutes when I was out swimming two and a half miles, all I was thinking about was my stroke efficiency. I was thinking, how am I breathing? How, you know, I've got some, some waves slapping me. How am I dealing with that? The minute my feet touched the ground, I immediately went, what messages did I miss while I was out swimming? What happened while I was out swimming that I now have to go and deal with, that I now have to respond to? And it was just so eye-opening for me to go, okay, that's probably God's way of saying, you've got to slow down. You've got to take your time and just relax. And so... Um, that's, so that's one of the reasons good. why I, yeah. I now hold on to that and I'm yep. going to do another one in this fall. Good so. for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> so you. many life lessons on that from, from the self-awareness too of needing to slow down as somebody, you know, and again, building businesses and doing right. like, I'm, I'm, I get it. And there's yeah. been the mornings where you wake up and just upon waking up, you're like, Ooh, what am I going to tackle today? You exactly. know, and that's not how we're supposed to. what's coming at me that I, what's I don't coming at know. me that I'm ready for. And that's not the way to live life. Yeah. Man. That's not the way any of us, you know, are supposed to, are supposed to live. Um, so I love that and good on you for pushing through on that too. And Vince is a great guy. His steps on Cameron um, oh. was one of my students for forever. And, and I've known Leanne, you know, his wife yeah. for forever, forever. Yeah. Cameron and I still, to Cameron's in college right now. And yeah. We still talk um, all the time. And so, um, so Vince tells another story. He says I pushed him down on the playground in second grade. Uh, I think that's BS. <laughs> I don't think hey, that ever happened. I'm going what, to believe the story about the fourth grade. I was going to say, if teacher, we're going to go with the fourth I, grade story, then we got to talk about the second grade story too. So that's too funny, man. That's awesome. No, really good, really good guy. And uh, he and I were shooting some messages back and forth a couple of weeks ago too around around all of this craziness that's going on too. So um, that's awesome, man. I love that. I love that. Love the Iron Man story and good for you on that too. We just had Ben Greenfield on the podcast too. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's done a lot of the guys an Ironman stud and just kind of a fitness um, guru, so to speak, too. He's got a lot of great stuff on there, too. And, um, man, that, that's – I got to put that on the bucket list. Uh, so one well, of the, bikes are expensive. I'll bikes, just warn you. I know they are. I know they are. Trust me. I have figured out all of the excuses of why I haven't done it yet, including bikes yeah, are expensive. Bikes are expensive. For sure. Yeah. Um, so one of, the, uh, one of the last questions on here is my favorite question. The whole thing goes – 
uh, to kind of expose where you might be a counterculture on something. And so the question is, what is a piece of common knowledge that everybody knows, but Kirk goes, yeah, man, but I just don't, I don't agree. I don't think that's, I don't think that's where life is. And so I always use this example as a career educator and somebody mm-hmm. that came out was at Stanford for a long time. I've worked in, in every capacity in schools. I still work with schools around the world. Everybody knows you have to go to college to be successful. And I go, yeah, I actually don't agree with that at all. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's actually a bad decision. Right. So, um, right. you know, that's I'm kind of counterculture in that regard. Sure. Is there anything that stands out for you? Well, yeah, you, you mentioned Stanford, and of course, they're considered a top tier university. But yeah, I, yeah. I'll say that as a Cal grad, I think that's false. That's so, true. that's a, um, yeah, absolutely as you should. As you should. I forgot so that you're a birthday guy. That's right. Um, the I like your example of of college uh, not being for everyone. Yeah. As the uh, the the infamous Judge Smale says, the world needs ditch diggers too. Yeah, uh, Caddyshack. I'm sorry, absolutely, to absolutely. Um, no, the the. Uh, you know, my my innate, or I should say inerrant, I guess, view of cultural shifts yeah. is I'm always looking at what drove it. Why, wh- what yeah. motivated people, for instance, with this willingness to give up our individual liberties the way that so many people have and not just not just a willingness to give them up but then the feeling that i can sanctimoniously attack those people who don't want to surrender their individual liberties i mean the emails that i have where people are asking me you know can we come stack all the dead bodies on your front yard and all the unreal it's it's that kind of thing and so i've i've always looked at what is the the kind of that societal norm and where it's driving and and just looked at it from a standpoint of what is driving it and yeah. if it's if it is not good and pure and true they, then you I don't care how many people are going that direction go the other way yeah, I love that totally totally just go the other yep. way yep. and and there's nothing good you know the, this uh, this expression new normal we have to get used to a new normal. No, normal is normal. Yeah, and yeah, normal yep. wasn't something that we invented last week. Right. Normal is over generations and generations of human interaction right. that we come to accept that when I see somebody, I want to shake their hand. Yep. When we yep. when we get together, we want to uh, 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 you know crowd ourselves into big stadiums and watch people beat each other up yeah. on the gridiron. That's what we want to do. That yeah. is normal because yeah. that's what we as humans crave. that kind of interaction and it seems to me the more i hear people saying oh there'll be a new normal we have to accept a new normal the people saying that are the people who are in charge of defining what it is is. yeah and often and that should scare the heck out of folks and often people who benefit yes from that very change taking and and typically that benefit comes in the form of you surrendering your individual liberty so that they can exert their power that much that's more. Exactly right. And that's what I really hope yep. people come out of all this with. Yep. And was, as we go into November with the you know, the presidential election and whether whether you've got folks on your ballot for city council or county supervisor, state assembly, state senate, U.S. Congress, U.S. Senate, or the White House, I really hope that people look at this through the prism of 
when you had the opportunity that was created by a crisis, did you try to consolidate power in a command and control top-down fashion and then fought to relinquish that? Mm-hmm. Or did you briefly say, we're willing to briefly give up our individual liberties for the greater good, and then at the first available opportunity, you fought like heck to get them back? So good. So good. So good. I mean, that's, gosh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember clapping. It's just like, (laughs) yes, man, absolutely. I mean, the last couple questions are usually around like, what is kind of the legacy or legacy statement, legacy quote, and then kind of where can people go to hear more from you too. But you almost just kind of summed up a lot of that right, I mean, right there. Um, And you posted a great quote today too, from Thomas Jefferson, that that was really kind of the summation of of all of that too. So, but do you, do you have any other, I mean, I, I don't, have a hard time thinking that we're going to be able to end it on something better than that. Stepping on that. But is, yeah, I mean, really, you know, is there a go-to quote that you kind of use a go-to, you know, that you were. Yeah, actually there, there is. And again, I, I mentioned previously, um, the uh, Mr. Baxter making me yeah. memorize the, the preamble to the declaration of independence. A lot of people know the preamble of the constitution, but really laying out why we believe in what we believe and why, you know, that a decent respect for the opinion of mankind requires that we declare the causes that impel us to the separation. And then going straight into, we hold these truths to be self-evident and all men are created equal and endowed by their creator. And then we, we feel like it, and that, the, we, we, you know, that we say that part and we say, um, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we all stop and we say, yay, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And we kind of clap and say, we all get life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But the founders in the very next line say, okay, now here's your job, Mm -hmm. that to secure these rights, government are instituted among men, universal term, Mm -hmm. deriving Mm -hmm. their just powers Mm -hmm. from the consent of the governed. Just powers, consent of the governed. That's what our entire country Mm -hmm. was based on. Government only has the power we consent to give it. And when government, in the very next line, that when any form of government becomes abusive of these ends, it is the right of the people, indeed the duty of the people, to alter or abolish it. So this, this thing that we call citizenship, it's not passive. That's right. It's That's active. Right. Right. And if we want to keep it, we have to understand what our role is, and we have to insist our elected officials understand Bingo. what our role is. Bingo. Freedom and responsibility are inextricably linked. We like to stop at the freedom part. That's right. Exactly we like right. like to stop there. Anybody who's had teenagers knows. No <laughs> doubt about it. They want the freedom, they but the responsibility the part, they ain't so hip to. <laughs> all the correlating responsibilities. That's exactly it. Yeah. So good. Well, you know, the, we usually end up with just a call to action. Where can they go to, to hear more from you, follow you, whatever that looks like? Or if there's another call to action you want people to take, let's leave them with that call to action. Yeah, I think right now the call to action is I, I, to the extent that folks can reach out to their local city uh, council members and their county supervisors and just let them know. Uh, we, we need our lives back. Yep. This is, we're done. Yep. And the governor is acting outside of his authority. And uh, please communicate to the governor that we know he's acting outside of his authority. And we've got to get our lives back. So that would be my call to action. Um, I, I've got a lot of good information, including going up this afternoon on my website, which is kirkuler.com. And that's K-I-R-K-U-H-L-E-R.com, um, where I lay out kind of what you and I were just discussing 
uh, in terms of the chapter and verse of all the state laws that define uh, the conditions that are required for the governor to be able to find that we are in a state of emergency, and then citing, of course, the, the chapter that says at the earliest possible opportunity he must relinquish that. Um, so that's all going to be available on the website today as well if folks want that information. Absolutely. And we will link all that kind of stuff too. So Good. Um, thank you for taking the time. Man. Hey, my it's pleasure. Such, a, such a, a big deal. It's great to see that we've got a whole lot of mutual connections and stuff yeah. too. But again, um, first and foremost, just we want to honor the heroes among us and, and we very much feel like that's the work that you are doing too. Thank so you. yeah, pleasure, pleasure. There you go, man. Mr. Kirk Euler, and uh, you heard the call to action there at the end. And so I would invite everybody to participate and uh, head over to kirkeuler.com, see what's going on. If you find his videos on Facebook, uh, you'd be worth sharing those uh, as well. He's doing some great work here. So it was a pleasure to have him in. Hope everybody's having a great day. Thank you all for listening to The Essential 11, and we will catch you next time.